Last week and this past Wednesday, if you were with us or saw the lessons, we were looking in John chapter 16. Today we're looking in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, I'm going to get right into the text because uh, I know that it's getting warm out here. But in John chapter 18, uh, what we see is Judas betraying Jesus and Jesus being arrested. Jesus being questioned by the Jewish officials and then they take him to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor who's over the area of Judea and they take him to this Roman governor so that he can be tried. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to pick up in John 18 verse 33. We're going to look at the trial of Jesus before Pilate, and we're going to see what we can find out about Jesus more from his interaction with Pilate. So look with me, John 18, beginning in verse 33. It says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So here in, the, in this interaction we see, now again, we, we're familiar with Jesus. We know who Jesus is. This is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior that's coming to the world. But, but just a little bit about Pilate. Pilate, I told you he's the Roman governor, so he works for the Roman government. He's over the specific area of Judea where these Jewish people are residing. And so even though the Jewish people have some authority on their own, in the end they answer to Pilate and the Roman government. Well, at this point, they want Jesus to be crucified. They want Jesus to receive the death penalty, and they don't have the authority to do that on their own. The only way that Jesus could receive the death penalty was if Pilate, the Roman governor, said that he was to be put to death. So they brought Jesus to him. They've made their case. They've said why they believe that Jesus should be put to death. And here we see Pilate questioning Jesus himself. So he brings up one of the charges there in verse 33. Are you the king of the Jews? Obviously, they had, they had told Pilate. This man says that he's the king of the Jews. He's not the king of the Jews. He should be tried for this. Jesus doesn't give a direct answer, but he asks a question of this question. He said, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate gets pretty agitated about that and, and asks in, in a not-so-nice way, am I a Jew? Right? The Jews are the ones that have said this. I'm not a Jew. And then Pilate, as you go through and see this trial, you'll notice that Pilate doesn't really see anything so egregious in Jesus that he should be put to death. Pilate doesn't understand exactly why they're so upset, and so he just simply asks Jesus the question at the end of verse 35. He said, your, your own people brought you to me. What have you done? What have you done that's so bad that your own people have brought you to me so that I could have you sentenced to death. And what I really want to spend most of our time this morning on is Jesus' answer. The way that Jesus answers this question is so much more important than just a trial or just uh, his defense of himself. So look in verse 36. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom 
is not from the world. So in Jesus' answer here, we see something that he says that's very important for Pilate, something that Pilate needed to hear, but he also says some things that we desperately need to hear as well. So the part that he says that's important for Pilate uh, is he says that, that, that he has a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom that's of this world. And why is that important for Pilate? Because Pilate's job is to protect the Roman government. So Jesus says to Pilate, listen, I've got a kingdom already, and I'm not searching for another kingdom of this world. He's telling Pilate there, I'm not a threat in that sense to the Roman government. I'm not here seeking political power. I have not come to overthrow your government. I'm not rebelling against the Roman government per se in the way that Pilate was trying to figure out. So that's important for Pilate to hear, that Jesus isn't here trying to overthrow the Roman government to receive political power. But I also want you to think about, for just a moment, how that's important for us to remember as well. Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth in order to try and gain something, some power that he didn't have. Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth seeking some authority that he didn't have and needed to come and get. He didn't come here so that he could be the ruler of Rome or of Judea. He didn't come here for those things because Jesus already had all of them. Point one, Jesus didn't come here seeking earthly power. He tells Pilate that, but it's not only important for Pilate, that's important for us to remember that Jesus, Jesus didn't come here trying to be some political ruler, trying to be some king of something that he didn't already have. That's not why Jesus came to earth. In just a minute, he's going to tell us exactly why he came to earth. But first, we start out here seeing why he didn't come. But more than that in this answer, we, we see a good bit more that Jesus says, some, some theological truths and not just uh, this truth about something that Pilate needed to hear about the kingdom. Look again in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So he, he gives a good defense, right? I'm not here seeking political power. If I, if I was, don't you think I would have let my people fight your people? Don't you think we'd have put up more of a fight if I was here trying to lead some rebellion? But then he tells us a little bit about his kingdom. And this idea of Jesus' kingdom, it's a theological point that runs from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. And we don't have time to look at all of that. So I just want to read to you just a couple of select passages to help us see a little bit about the kingdom that Jesus is the king of. If it's not just Rome and if it's not just Judea, what is it? Well, in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, if you want to write that down, Luke 17, 20 and 21, it says this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, Jesus, answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So Jesus tells us that the kingdom that he's the king of isn't some kingdom that you'll see in the sense of a political ruler or having borders or things of that nature. He says, no, the, the kingdom of God that they were looking for and asking when it was going to come, he said, it's already here. It's already in the midst of you. It's already established. One of my 
favorite places to see some about the kingdom and the rule and the authority of God is all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. So in Exodus 15, you have Pharaoh, who is the uh, most prestigious man on earth at the time, who's leading the largest kingdom on earth at the time, and he's tried to go up against Moses uh, as God's spoke person, and he's tried to go up against God. And, and so when the Israelites, when God leads them to defeat Egypt, we read this in Exodus 15. Verses 1 and 2, this is a song. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then in verse 6, it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. In verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. And then it ends in verse 18 with this, The Lord will reign forever and ever. And then Psalm 145, 13 that Brother Dusty read for us earlier. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So here we see some about the kingdom. Jesus tells Pilate, I'm not here to try and take over your kingdom. I'm not here trying to take over the Roman government because here's the truth. I already have everything that I want because everything belongs to me. Whether you know it or not, God is sovereign over you. Whether you want God to be sovereign over you, the ruler over you, it doesn't matter because he is. Whether you're you here sitting in this parking lot or you watching at home or Pilate thousands of years ago, you have no way to buck the authority of God. Jesus says he's standing here, he's on trial, and in his trial he talks, he says, I am a king and I have a kingdom. But Pilate, it's not what you're thinking. It's not what you're looking for. The kingdom of God is not just Judea. It is not just Rome. It is not just the United States. The kingdom of God extends everywhere to everything, to everyone at all time. He is sovereign over everything, and he will do whatever he pleases with everything. This is clear whenever we read the scriptures. This is clear about the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, for those of us here this morning that belong to God, that are part of this kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, this should be reassuring. This is good news. The God that we serve, the God that is our God, is in control of absolutely everything at all times and in all ways. We have nothing to fear. This kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus speaks of here in verse 36 when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It is a kingdom that is immeasurable in glory and strength. It is a kingdom that is unending in days that began before time began and it will never end and it's the only kingdom that will never be defeated because God is its king. Point two, the kingdom of God is not of this world and we need to remember that because sometimes we look around 
and we see the evil or we see the bad things happening or we see the disease or we see viruses or we see these things and we start to feel like maybe we're powerless, like maybe God isn't in control, like maybe God isn't winning. But brothers and sisters, as Jesus was standing here before the man that was about to condemn him to death on a cross, chapter 18, verse 4 tells us that he had already known all these things. Jesus already knew everything that was going to happen here. I want you to know that God doesn't always work the way that we expect him to, but God is always in control. He makes this abundantly clear. If you turn over one page to John chapter 19, after this trial, Pilate is going to sentence him to death. He's going to send him to be beaten and flogged. And after he's beaten, look in verse 9 of chapter 19. Talking about Pilate, it says, He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I love that exchange. Pilate, this man who thinks he's so powerful, speaks to the God of the universe and says, don't you know that I have authority to make you live or make you die? And Jesus calmly, at least in my mind in this exchange, calmly says, Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority unless my Father gave it to you. I'm not worried about you. There's one other thing that Jesus gives us in verse 37. Pilate asked him another question. I want us to look again at Jesus' answer. It says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Just shows to me Pilate really didn't get it. Jesus gives this discourse about his kingdom that he's over. And, and after he says all of that, Pilate says, Oh, so you are a king. Just doesn't get it. But Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. I want you to pay attention because I told you Jesus didn't come to seek political power, but here we see why he did come. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Here Jesus helps us to understand why it is that he came. Jesus came to earth to help us to understand the truth. He came to bear witness, to show, and to tell the truth to the world. John chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of truth and Jesus coming, says, And the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to earth and lived a life as a human in order to show us the glory of God, in order to show us the grace of God, and to show us the truth of who God is. And then in John chapter 14, it goes a step further, and it doesn't tell us that Jesus just came to tell us the truth or bear witness to the truth. No, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in that we see that Jesus doesn't just tell us the truth, and Jesus doesn't just show us the truth, but Jesus himself is the truth. So Jesus came 
at the most basic level, at least to show us the truth about who he is and about who God is, to show us the truth of the gospel, to show us the truth that we are lost and that we need to be saved, to show us how it is that we can be saved. These things, at least these things, more than these things, but at least these things are the reason that Jesus came. He said, I came. This was why I was born. This is the purpose for which I came in order to bear witness to the truth. Point three, Jesus shows the truth and it offers us reconciliation to God. And I want us to think about that last part as we close. Not only does he show us the truth, the truth is that God loves us. The truth is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth that Jesus came to show us and to explain to us and to help us understand. But not only does he show us the truth that we are sinners and our sin has separated us from God, not only does he show us the truth that he is the Son of God, but in this he also shows us that he came to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death and to come back to life and to be alive forevermore to offer us so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have abundant life now, so that we could have eternal life. God revealed all of these things to us in Jesus. This is the truth, which could be a completely separate sermon in itself, the fact that there is truth. Truth is not relative. It does not change. Truth is set. It is for sure. The truth is Jesus and the gospel that he shows us. The last thing that I'll share with you is that in 37, at the very end, Jesus shows us that the truth requires that we respond. It says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And I would ask you today, brothers and sisters, do you listen to the voice of Jesus and respond? When you read his truth, when you see his truth, when you understand the truth of the gospel, have you listened to his word? Have you listened to his teaching? Have you listened to his commands? Have you repented of your sins because he's called you to do that? Have you given your life to him in faith because he's called us to do that? Have you believed the truth or are you still in need of salvation? The good news is if you are here or if you are listening to this and you know that you are not saved but that you desire to be saved from your sins and to have eternal life, Jesus Christ has already come and lived the perfect life and died the perfect death to pay for your sins so that that's available to you. If you don't know how to go about that, if you say, Brother I would like to know more about how to be saved, I pray that you would reach out to me. You can call me, you can text me, you can send a Facebook message, however you want to do that. But I would love to spend some more time talking with you about what it means to respond to the truth, respond to Christ in faith, giving your life to him because he's worthy of all that we have. If y'all would, join me as we pray to close our time. Lord God, I am thankful that the truth does not change. That it's not different for people living in Judea in the time of the Roman Empire than it is for those of us sitting in a parking lot during a pandemic in the United States in 2020, Lord, the truth remains the same and you are the truth. And everything that you have ever said is true. And your life shows us the truth of the love and the glory and the grace of God that you would leave heaven and come here 
to offer us forgiveness of our sins, a, a reconciled relationship with God the Father who is in control and in charge of absolutely everything, that he would allow us, that you would allow us to be part of your kingdom. So, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that this is the truth. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never understood this truth before and that does now, Father, that they would seek you, that you and your Holy Spirit and your word, that you would show them how it is to respond in faith, to be saved from their sins. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us, even when we didn't deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.